Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Hey everyone, welcome to Warrior Goddess Revolution. We haven't done a live one for a while and I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Heather Archer. Yay! Hi everyone. Happy to be here, Heather Ash. Thank you for having me. Mm, So happy to have you. We're going to have such a great conversation today. I'm going to go ahead and read your bio so that we do the fullness of that and then we'll ask you how you got to be you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Heather Archer is a well-being consultant, sound healer, writer, and speaker who has 15 years of experience of cultivating healing-centered approaches for institutions geared towards social good. Her work incorporates somatic and growth mindset strategies for recovering perfectionists to thrive at work. Yay. Her healing practice includes a mixture of sound healing, Reiki, reflective journaling, mindfulness, and chakra alignment. Her first book, tentatively titled The Grind Culture Detox, Heal from Capitalism, Thrive at Work, will be released by Hierophant Publishing in June 2022. So exciting. So we'll talk more about that as well. Heather's also the co-creator of Black Healers Connect, an organization that connects healers across the African diaspora to share ancestral wisdom to restore ourselves and our communities. Heather, I'm, we were just talking right before the podcast started of this feeling sense of excitement about getting to know each other and being Ink Sisters. So Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and I always call each other Ink Sister and Ink Brother. So welcome to the Hierophant family. And I'm so excited to learn more about you and about especially Grind Culture Detox. So share, share. How did you, <laughs> how did you become who you are? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> A small question. The question I've been really pondering uh, for the past year in particular. Um, well, I will definitely say um It really just started with remembering who I am. I will say that because um, I just particularly around like the pandemic, um, when it first began, I really just started to reclaim my power. And a lot of that meant going back into my inner child. And I grew up uh, in what you would call like a very traumatized environment. So, um, you know, the whole laundry list, whether that's like, living in poverty, um, having uh, family members with a history of addiction, family separation. Um, also just kind of like growing up to a lot of times being the only black person in different spaces and just all of the things I did to kind of contort and bend myself to fit into this version of Heather that I thought I needed to be. And, um, a lot of that showed up with like perfectionism, um, and just, always, you know, just never feeling like I was enough. Um, And so overcompensating for that feeling of lack. And so a lot of times that manifested in my work. Um, And so being somebody who I've always been interested in healing and helping folks. But what I noticed is that it it's something I poured myself into to at my detriment, um, to the point of where I wasn't able to fully sustain myself and make healthy choices so that I could show up as the best person um, that I could be. And so I think it was just the process of unlearning and excavating. Um, I like to tell people that um, my healing work started as an educator. I didn't know it at the time. Um, It's only been fairly recently that I've owned the, that I've decided to say that I'm a healer, but um, it started with my work in education and just consciousness raising and getting folks to, really just see that another way is possible. And to do that through, I did that a lot of times through academia and um, social justice work. And then realized one day, like, I'm sick of talking about the problems all the time and I'm ready to embody the solution. Um, And so that's kind of where my healing journey began. Um, A lot of my consciousness 
shift also happened in motherhood, like when I was pregnant with my son, Cole, and um, that high performing perfectionist couldn't be that high performing perfectionist while I was pregnant and needed to care for my body. And so a lot of like me finding, for example, the nap ministry and like understanding the importance of rest uh, really started when I wasn't a fully able-bodied person in society um, and just really pregnancy really um, allowed me to slow down and it allowed me to open up in really beautiful ways. So I, I always like my professional journey is so tied to my, my experience as being a mother. They've kind of like shared this symbiotic relationship. That's mm. kind of, that's a part of it. <laughs> One one thread of a big tapestry. Yes, yes. (laughs) And it's so true that I think one of the things that most of us struggle with, and I've seen this especially as women, is perfectionism. That there's that overcompensation that you talked about. And it's almost like we build this wall around us that I'll be safe, I'll be liked, I'll be okay if I can perform appear this way. Mm-hmm. And it's so damaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, a lot of times it's just, it's a response to, to feel like we can be productive members of society, whatever that, that looks like. Um, and just also understanding how it blocks our creative power. A lot of times that wall that we create. I'd love productive member of society. Doesn't <laughs> it make you want to kind of throw up now? Like before I was like, because I definitely had my value was tied to what I produced, what I created, how I appeared in the world. And the unraveling of that was so deep. It took such a long time. And I remember when I first was like, I think something's off here around work. Um, For me, it was like I had a, a thriving organization. I was teaching. I'd written my first book. Everything was supposed to be great. And I was completely burnt out and my staff was frustrated and there was a lot of tension in my organization. And I was like, okay, wait, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And it's been a pro it's probably been 15 years just of the, of that unravel. And so for yourself, did you, how, what were some of your guideposts along your journey of realizing, oh, I want to do this differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, And I I, I see a lot of similarities in our stories. Um, I was coordinating a youth camp in 2019. um, And I write about this in in my book. It was definitely a moment of revelation. I I was, I had my six-month-old son with me. It was a very intensive uh, camp for African-American youth. Um, in high, high school age, African American youth, and it was a five day camp. It was all about a heal. It was all about being healing centered, like raising race, racial consciousness um, among African American youth, exposing them to different healing modalities, and um, really getting them to get in touch with their higher selves and their ancestry. And at the same time, the structure of the camp and the 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 way in which staff like work practices were, it was, it was atrocious looking back. Um, I remember working 16 hours straight and being, and breastfeeding, not eating. Cause um, that's a trauma response. I have a lot of times if I get really stressed out, I, I stop wanting to like have food. And so, and I just remember that was the moment when I was like, Oh my gosh, if I don't stop myself, no one else is going to do it for me. <laughs> if I don't, take the reins and create my own boundaries, um, then it won't happen. And I remember like right after that camp, I, you know, probably for the first time ever, I took a one week off. No, I said like, no, don't call me about work. Don't, I'm not available. And that was like a really big thing. Cause I always kind of was like, giver, giver, you know, uh, it's okay. I love this work. I'll, I, I can answer this text, but I was like, no, like I need an off button. I deserve to to just rest and nothing else. Um, And it was then, that was when I was like, oh, I have to do this differently. And I now approach, anytime I do an event, I always judge it by how I feel at the end of it, which is weird. I wouldn't have thought of ever doing that before, but I'm like, okay, if I'm the facilitator, if I'm creating this thing, 
if I'm all stressed out and frantic, they're going to see it. People have, you know, things are really transparent. Like folks are going to feel that energy. So like, let me really focus on creating an architecture where I'm able to not only care for the folks who attend my events or whatever I'm doing, but that I'm able to create a container to care for myself in the process. So we're creating this community of care. That's been the game changer of like, and, and I feel like my practice has gone that much deeper because of it. Um, it's because it's not as performative, you know, it's embodied as, as I've also read and learned from you and your work. Oh, so the heartbreak, what I hear is the heartbreak of doing something that you love and you're incredibly passionate about and realizing that it's not sustainable. Yep. It wasn't. It was like, it's either me or the work, <laughs> you know, one. <laughs> and I want to, I have, you know, I want to be here. I want to uh, be the best version of myself that I can show up as. And that means resting and caring for myself, you know? Yeah. And in that journey, have you found that your sense of self-worth has improved that you feel more solid? I'm going to ask two questions because like two things just mushed in. So that is that one, that sense of like, how is it, how has it been in your body? Um, and do you also find that the temptation to go back into that <clears throat> busyness? Well, how does it feel in my body? I feel like once I started setting boundaries, um, well, two things happened. My relationships dramatically shifted because I had to re and I'm still reintroducing myself to folks that, you know, knew me, have known me for years. And it's like, oh, I'm not that same Heather anymore. I, I do things differently, but it feels great in my body because um, I, I'm treating myself with care. I'm, I'm the uh, one of um, a mantra I like to kind of or just something I like to repeat to myself and my students is you are worthy of care and attention. Like, you are like, I'm worthy. And so like having that affirmation um, and returning back to it is what is where I find my center. Um, and at the same time, um, the work that I do around detoxing from grind culture, I do it from a harm reduction approach, understanding that we live in a society that kind of sometimes encourages us to be addicted to things and to be addicted to frenzy to be addicted to devices, all those things. And we're not perfect. So we're not here to be like, I'm not here to be this, I'm this uh, symbol of work-life balance, right? And if you just follow me, you will have that too. Um, I like to tell people straight off, I'm not your guru. I'm, I've am i been harmed and I'm healing from grind culture every single day. Here are some practices that I've learned that are helping me in the process. And um there's always, there's, there's going to be ebbs and flows. And so just knowing that you can always return back to the center with some of these core practices um, to kind of get you back in alignment. Yeah, that's been, um, that's helped me. And that's taken off like some of the weight of like perfectionism. Like I have to be this like model exemplar of well-being, um, which I've just really, I think as dangerous too. <laughs> um, and so I really, I've been pushing back on that just not only internally, but externally with my communication. And that's been a game changer. It's an important piece because I do think that sometimes when we write a book or when we have a process that we're working with ourselves, people suddenly are like, oh, you've got it figured out. Great. And the temptation to then step into that new form of perfectionism. Mm hmm is is very strong because people want that people want us like oh, okay it's attainable heather's done it then i can do it completely in my life but it's another false layer of if you just do follow these 10 steps and do it right then you'll always be balanced and life doesn't work that way yeah yeah it, it doesn't and um yeah, that's something the whole guru culture and kind of pushing back against that. That's a newer thing. And that kind of has gone into like, that's emerged from the work I've been doing with like accessing my higher or expanded self of like, okay, I don't need to look 
outwardly for it. Like if I, if I believe in intuition, if I believe in um, a higher source, then that's something I can access whenever, wherever. Um, and it's about me becoming a vessel so that I can, because um, we live in a society where people will tell you what you should do and they'll say, nope, you should do this. You should, And you could easily just listen. And then you realize, oh, wait, I lost myself. When did I lose myself? And it can be really subtle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How did you come up with the, with the word grind culture detox? Like that detox was such a great idea because it's also detox. You don't necessarily feel better when you first start detoxing. Yes. Okay. So grind culture. I first heard about grind culture through Trisha Hearsey's work with the NAP ministry. Then I started like researching it and just been like, oh, okay. Cause I thought she created it. And I was like, oh, uh, but then I realized like, oh no, this has been a term that's been around for a while. And like either grind culture or hustle culture is another thing people are referring to it to, or a uh, toxic productivity. That's another framework. Um, and then I started looking into workism, um, this concept that uh, Western society in particular, we have this like religious fervor around work and, you know, it developing our identity, you know, just thinking about at what age were you, did you start hearing like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like immediately it's like, all right, pick a, pick a lane, you know, decide how you're going to produce. So just understanding the culture, the climate that we're in. It's like, whoa, this is big. This is this is deep. And um, I think I came up with the term detox. It really I don't know exactly when it like came into like my consciousness. But what I will say is as I started doing my inner child work, I under I was uncovering a lot of the um, ways I've been harmed by addiction, patterns of addiction. So coming from like my father, for example, um, was addicted to drugs my whole life and wasn't able to be, um, wasn't able to be there for me in that way. Um, and then just also having lots of family members also struggle with addiction. And so understanding the disease of it, of like, sometimes you want, you want this thing. Like, so it's like, we want workplace well-being. We want, uh, to, to have find flow and balance Like we do want these things. And sometimes the toxins are just so deep that, there's there's more required than than the want it's like also the embodiment it's the actions and but then also knowing like yeah you're right detox I didn't actually really think of it in that way until you said it but it makes so much sense that the detoxification process is actually not easy and um a lot of people don't understand what this is um and I get why they don't understand what this is because um you go through this house of mirrors when you start unpacking grind culture and how you've been impacted by it. Cause then you're, yeah, you go through, a, a, you have to deprogram and um, kind of get rid of a lot of that conditioning that's everywhere. It, folks everywhere have said is the way things are. And it's like, well, but this isn't working. Um, so that's kind of, that's the why behind it. Um, and then also I, I really want to reach people who I've always been somebody who's been like really spiritually inclined. And at the same time, like I was a party girl. I liked going to raves. I liked, I, I liked just hanging out and, you know, I didn't want to always like, I, didn't, I never imagined myself even being able to be in spiritual spaces. Cause I'm like, well, I don't wear those clothes. Like I don't sit on a mountain. Like I don't want to either, you know? And so I kind of wanted to appeal to folks that were there, like, they were like, yeah, I would love to, to meditate, but like, that's not me. And yeah, I, and I just kind of like, it's, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be this like spiritual symbol. Like you don't have to be a vegan per se or anything. Um, so I kind of wanted to reach the consciousness of folks that were like doing a dance of like, am I like more, am I on this spiritual path or am I not kind of thing? And just creating that safe space. Beautiful. And that the, it's that thing of we're swimming in it. We don't realize how toxic it is. And it really is. It's like swimming in poison. 
and everybody's swimming in the poison. And so the thought that we can do it in a different way in terms of work and relationship is really foreign. I know it was for me in the beginning because I'm like, well, I'm running a business. This is how you run a business. And how did I learn how to run a business? Basically by watching my dad Mm. run a business that from the outside and there was no training. There's no support. There's it's like, you should just know how to do this in a way. And I think also that for people that are in businesses, like I had the kind of weird thing where I, I worked for other people for a long time and worked for different organizations. So I also got to see like how people ran their business mm-hmm. and there's always stress. There was always worry. There was always this sense of rush and push. And so of course I just brought that when I started, the community started growing and where I started bringing in other people to help that that thread of push and force and grind just mm-hmm. got built in. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't like, there wasn't an idea that there could be anything different. And I think it's fascinating. Like in my organization now, my all of my team knows that they can take time off, that they can rest. I know that. And yet we still, mm-hmm. you know, someone will be like, I'm having a really bad day. I'm so, so sorry. I'm going to take some time off. Or we'll all realize that we're, you know, we're, we are creating a deadline that doesn't actually need to be there. And even in a supportive environment, it's hard. And so in a non-supportive environment, it's really difficult. So what advice would you give somebody that's in that toxic environment and they're wanting to make the changes, but there's, they're not getting a lot of support for that? Hmm. So I would say it depends on what positionality that person has at work. Cause I, I also understand that power and privilege is real, right? So like the grind culture detox will look different depending upon the sort of job that you're ha- you have. Like, for example, if you have to go into the office every day, as opposed to work from home, like these kinds of things, if you're a leader in an org, like the first thing um, that I, I, I tell folks that I work with is like, take a vacation, make yourself completely unaccessible. Like you taking the break and saying like, don't call me, don't text me. It models, even though it's so scary, it models to your workers and employees like, oh, okay, it's safe to do that. You know, Um, it's also very radical. It's weird. And it's also some people think it's rude and, (laughs) you know, all that kind of stuff. But Power and positionality, if you're the le- a leader, you can you can take that bigger risk. Um, now, if you are somebody who, um, you know, has a little bit less autonomy, then I would say it's those um, a, a really not easy, but um, a practical thing to do is uh, the way you calendar. So like if you're working and this I'm going to use an example of working from home, but like let's say that you do a lot of Zooms and stuff is to like overestimate the amount of time it'll take. So like, let's say you really are supposed to be on this meeting for like 60 minutes, put in your calendar for 90 so that you're not immediately going to the next. Um, And then I would even take it, it depends on how much autonomy you have, but I might take it a step further because a lot of times meetings still run over and you still end up, oh, I have to get on this next thing. I I didn't go to the bathroom. I didn't eat or, you know, those sorts of things. So I would even put in, after that 90 minutes, like a 30 minutes of padding time just to catch up on like, cause we still have to write emails. We still have to do human things. And so it just provides a little bit more ease and flow for that. Um, so that's, but you uh, kind of have to lie to yourself to do it. Cause you have to be like, okay, this is an hour meeting, but no, it's 90 minutes. And, but you just, because we're so used to producing fast as much as possible, we kind of have to like intervene on ourselves in that way with our calendaring practices. So those are two strategies, but, or another thing is um, I, but once again, my positionality was different. I would start each meeting with grounding. Like if you're in a meeting with Heather, the first five minutes we're grounding, we're doing some kind of a personal thing. And it, 
I found that it created this safe space for folks like, oh, I know when I'm in a meeting with you, I can like pause and, but it's, it's good for me and it's good for them, you know, and we're creating this like, okay, what could it look like if we grounded at the first five minutes of it every meeting, or if we ended, I'd also would end meetings in gratitude, you know, just like, just something to kind of elevate and also to center. But I also was running the meetings. Um, there is also the four, four, four breath that you you can do at any time. So if you, if you're on a, if you're in school all day, or if you're on a zoom or you can always just breathe in for the count of four, hold for the count of four and breathe out of your nose for the count of four. You could do that on, I, you know, I could do that right now and you, you wouldn't look weird. Right. But it's like, okay, I'm centering, I'm connecting back with my breath. Um, so it's like a more covert way to care for your body and, um, in a moment of grind. So yeah, those are some tips. <laughs> Super helpful. And I, I love you differentiating, like, where are you in, in terms of power and privilege? Because of course, there's a really big difference between somebody running an organization and somebody working for that organization and the type of organization that it is. So that's that honesty of where am I and understanding that even if you're not running the meeting or the organization, that you still have capacity over and over again for self-care. Yes. And that's one of the things I've run into is people think, okay, self-care is I'm going to Bali for a month and unplugging. And then I'll, and then I'll be better when I get back, then everything will be fine. Cause we do, that's something else that's woven into uh, Western culture especially, especially in the United States is like, you get a vacation and then you should come back and be better. Mm -hmm. And vacation though. And if you take vacation time off. (laughs) Yeah, that is so true. And how often people have, you know, don't have sick leave and have sick kids that they have to take care of. And just the, the added stress of not having, really having time to yourself to catch up Mm -hmm. or to Mm -hmm. slow down. Yeah. I think like, yeah. Empowering folks to take sick leave because there's, yeah, there's folks who don't have it, which is criminal. Um, And also there's folks who just have it sitting there and never take it, never take it. And I think that's, that should be like, no, like, because I know like if you're burnt out, if you're not taking your vacation, that's going to actually impact your quality of work and like how you're able to show up. Because I know whenever I do have the luxury of going on vacation, like that's the amazing thing. I come back, I'm like so inspired, like you're getting so much more out of me because I rested. Um, yeah. So the lies that we've been told around productivity is kind of astounding, too. And that piece of starting to tell ourselves the truth and being around other people that are speaking the truth like you and have tools and tips to help guide us. Because it is, I believe it's a lifetime journey of unraveling ourselves, untying ourselves from so many lies, from so much misinformation, from so much harm. Mm-hmm. And that there's there's really trauma embedded in work yeah all of us bring our own trauma and and there's been so much that's been dehumanized yeah been dehumanized in so many ways of like let's be more we want you to be more robots and I feel like we're in a big paradigm shift around that at work right now as well yeah just because it's not sustainable I think this pandemic um really opened up a lot of folks' eyes to like, at, to what, at what cost should I be productive? Like, to what end? Uh, when does it become not okay? Um, and we got pushed to our limits in a lot of ways around that, um, and which is terrible. And I think that it's created this opening because I'm just noticing folks are tired, <laughs> just tired all the time. Um, and so that means, you know, we're ready, we're ready for something new. And what would be some of your advice for mamas? So as a mother yourself, 
finding that balance of taking care of yourself, taking care of your son, taking care of your work and the household. I mean, there's so many different areas that you're juggling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, boundaries are essential. Just like super, like negotiating, you know, with your partner, um, like what, what can you, what can you uh, do? And what is like, Hey, I, I, this is, I can't put this on my plate, you know? So that means like, just me understanding that I can't do it all. Like it's not possible and nor should I expect myself to do it all was a game changer. Cause I used to always kind of feel like I need to do it all. Like my like toxic productivity coming into overdrive. Like I need to get an A plus on being the most productive. So I'm going to do everything myself. Like knowing like, okay, if I want to be sane um, and if I want to be healthy, um, that I need to, to, to negotiate things differently. So just like, you know, for me, that was looking like, okay, um, renegotiating household chore, like what are the household expectations? So then it's, it might be something like delineating with your partner, like literally on these days, we need to like split up what the work looks like, you know, and um, which is hard, right. To set those boundaries. I know I have patterns of codependency. So some, if you're not used to healthy boundaries, they can feel insulting, so having to unpack that, um, you know, is big, but just really being able to assert what those boundaries are um, and the same at work. So being a mom, like I knew it's like if I don't, there'd be times where the work would seem en endless. And if I didn't like say, hey, guys, really, I'm leaving right now because I want to spend time with my son, um, then it would have kept going. So just having once again, the boundaries um, is super important and to listen to our little ones because I'm just so amazed by my son Cole and just he is an oracle like he I really do believe that children they're closer to way closer to spirit the spirit realm than we are because they just they just came from there like they have more of a memory and so much of my healing journey has been go back to Heather when you were young, like go back to Heather as, as a child. What did she want? Because that is, that's my highest purpose. And so taking those sacred pauses to listen to what my son is saying, because he gives me great advice, He's two and a half years old, but he'll just say, Hey mom, slow down. He was just telling me that yesterday, slow down. I'm like, okay, all right. You're right, Cole. <laughs> um, so yeah, listening and just like, or um, being attentive, being as present as possible. Um, that's been really um, helpful. But then also relinquishing perfectionism around like, I'm going to get it right as a mom and be the perfect mom and not traumatize my kid at all. And not. And so that's another thing I had to work against. Um, being a child of trauma is just being like, I, that doesn't mean I need to be perfect, right? Um, I need to be more aware and I need to work on my, my stuff. But like, I also can't put that rigid form of perfection um, on myself because it's going to transfer to him and it's going to cause more trauma. So yeah, relinquishing perfectionism for moms, I feel like is big. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> that is huge. When you were talking about Cole saying, slow down, mom, I could feel how many moms, like the the impulse would be to, to defend, mm -hmm. to say, well, I can't slow down. I'm, a, I'm an adult. I have to take care of you. And this is what I have to do. And there's all these things. And when those messages come, whether they come from our children or they come from a beloved or they come from a book that we're reading to stop and to, and to listen, like you said, like there's pureness coming through. And if we can stop defending, making a list of why it has to be this way and go back into softening into our bodies, into our hearts and saying, God, goddess divine is talking to me through my child, through my cat. That's looking at me like, why haven't you pet me today? Because <laughs> for me, it's my cat that's trying to trip me up. <laughs> through the trees outside that are calling us to come just sit. Mm -hmm that it's easy to get woven into the work, the busyness. And I think it's all, I love this. This is just downloading. It's just as easy to weave ourselves back into 
right relationship with nature. Yes. Yes. <sighs> I felt that. Yeah. I'm just thinking about just uh, something as simple. I've been trying to do like a forest bath every day because my my little one goes to a, a outdoor school. So there's a, a hiking trail um, when I drop him off. And I can always tell where I'm at in my well-being journey for the week. If I, if I like the trails right there, I, I dropped him off. I can just go take the walk now, but there's some weeks where I'm like, Oh, actually, no, um, we put that, I have to go and do this thing. And so I'm like, can I make it the spaciousness for the 30 minutes, right. To, to just take that forest bath to, to, to commune with the trees, you know? Um, and yeah, just that, um, the more I'm in nature too, it's like the more I can access nature, um, the, the more, the easier it becomes to be present in my body. And it's right there. Right? I love that image of you dropping him off and then walking yes. and taking in and slowing down. And I find when I do that, I'm more present, soft, efficient in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like I know that when I'm rushing to get things done, I feel efficient, but I'm actually not. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I can create the spaciousness and I'm actually resting and rested, the downloads happen and I know what to do and it comes out and then mm-hmm. it's done in a way. Sometimes there's, you know, obviously there's, there's energy and work, but I'm finding that there's such a different flavor Mm-hmm. <sighs> when it's not based in the push and the struggle mm-hmm. and the mind. Yeah. And I think it also has to do with like getting comfortable with getting a little nonlinear. Um, and that's been a big thing, like understanding that even if it doesn't happen in this way that I think it should, like I plotted it. Cause that's when I relinquish that it needs to happen exactly like this a lot of times it creates space for, whoa, this happened in a much more amazing way than I could have even planned, you know, because I let go a bit, you know? And so instead of pushing through, right, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to make that document at midnight. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe I can pick that up, you know, in the morning when I'm going to actually give more and produce, you know, produce something that's of higher quality too. Nice. So share a little bit more about what harm reduction means for you in Mm. relationship to grind culture detox and in relationship to historical family culture trauma. Mm. Okay. So harm reduction definitely means like, um, there's like a lot of practices that we have access to, spiritual practices, healing practices that we a lot of times we might know about them. We know that they make us feel good, but we really don't want to do it for some reason because we're just in the grind. You know, we're not in that consciousness right now. So a lot of harm reduction has been like understanding what are the things that help me to thrive. So I know for me, it's definitely being um, um, in the outdoors. So like taking walks. Um, being in nature is huge for me. Drinking water, taking my vitamins. Um, they're uh, reading consciousness raising things. Um, gratitude lists, that's a big one. But having this res- reservoir or what I like to call it thriving toolkit, like what's in your thriving toolkit? And each person's going to look different. Like there's going to be people who are not super into the nature thing. Um, they might, their, their thriving toolkit might look a little different, but understanding what are the, the go-tos, like when you're having like a really crappy day that if you do it, you might be feeling crappy while you're doing it, but it's like, okay, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. So that is harm reduction is like a lot of these feel good practices. You don't want to do them because a lot of times you're working through self-worth issues even feeling like you're worthy of doing these things. Um, But understanding and understanding, like it's a prescription, right? So even if you, even if you know it feels good and you still don't want to do it, do it, right? And then, um, so I guess that's like my Capricorn, like just, you know, consistency, just, you know, and 
it doesn't fail me. Um, what fails me is when I don't, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, like I don't get it right all the time. And also my thriving toolkit can shift based on the season, um, based on like what my needs are. But like one practice I'd like to leave folks with in terms of harm reduction and what this looks like with the grind culture detox, like when you're really immersed in grinding and you're like, I got 50 things on my to-do list and I just, I don't even see where the pause can happen. If that's where you're at that day, then um, something I like to tell folks to do is like, okay, take a work bath or um, for folks who don't have a bathtub, it could be like a sacred shower or like you could do a foot bath even. But um, if you have a bathtub, take a work bath. So that means putting the Epsom salts in the bathtub. Um, Epsom salts are really great for, for many things, but a lot of times it's like for clearing your auric field. Um, a lot of us are empaths and we just take on people's energy. And a lot of times that's why we're grinding because we're like, we took on all these people's energies of like what we're supposed to be doing in this moment. And it could just, we can't, we maybe don't feel so clear. Um, baths are luxurious though. It's like something you're supposed to do like at the end of the day when, you know, it's just you and all that stuff. But what I might say is, let's say that you do have a lot to do. Um, take the Epsom salt bath, bring your like phone in or tablet. Um, so even, you know, you get like a, I actually don't have one of those benches. I need to get one, but, um, you could even get a, like a bench, one of those little bath benches, if you don't want it to kind of fall off. And use like use that time to do like a really kind of more mindless task that needs to get done. So um, answering emails, you know, responding like kind of really not in depth, like I need to create a doc or something like that. But that way it's like, okay, you're getting the healing of the bath salts, like the Epsom salt bath. You know, you can put flower petals in it, have some music, like whatever you need. And also you're still you're still producing because. It, it's there's levels to it. Right. And so that would be a, an example of harm reduction of like, you're, it would be great to just take the bath <laughs> and no work and nothing. And Hey, you know, we're, we're, it's not always that simple. And so, yeah, that would be an example. That makes, that makes me so, so happy. happy because <laughs> instead of I'm going to work really hard and then I'm going to have a bath, we're rewiring our system of I can actually have pleasure while I'm working. Exactly. And it makes me think of Adrienne Marie Brown's book, Pleasure Activism, that weaving together, they're not separate. We can actually create beauty and bring together healing practices and getting stuff done. Yes, that's it. Like, me like merging work and play as much as possible, I think is a new paradigm. So it's like, if we have to work, no one said that we have to be miserable and working, right? <laughs> we might have some fun. And so, you know, then we can get to the point of like, do we have to, you know, how much do we really have to work and all that stuff. But even changing the nature of what work looks like, um, will be really supportive on that journey of detoxing from grinding. And there's another piece. I know we're we're going to start closing, but there's another big piece. We're going to have to do another interview. That's just yeah. all. There is to <laughs> that around doing shadow work, mm. healing up the healing the trauma, healing the shadow pieces, so that we can more easily step out of grind culture. Yeah, because so often we're in it so deeply because we don't have self worth because we're running away from the past because there's things that we haven't addressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'd love a little bit of just your journey of how those are connected. Yeah, that's a big one. So um, when it comes to unlearning perfectionism, for me, it's really um, figuring out when was that moment where I didn't feel enough as I am, you know. And excavating that, it's hard. Um, definitely getting support. I got support during that process. I, I um, worked with um, a healer. Um, her name's uh, Black Soul Theory. And she did a whole inner child shadow work. Uh, we went in this whole journey last year, actually um, uh, last May. Um, and so it's interesting. I started picking up shadow work again this May. And it was like, I think I'm going to do May, like shadow work every May, I think now, but um, like it was really intensive and um, 
I, I would definitely say finding somebody to go on that journey, to take you through that journey. And I, I would say that therapy, tr- traditional Western therapy, sometimes it's helpful and there is more required a lot of times because a lot of times like talk there, you can talk through things and that's the first, that's a step. And also that would the embodiment practices, the, you know, how to alchemize that trauma. You sometimes you might find that in certain therapy uh, spaces, but not uh, the all traditional ones. So me doing that personal self worth then understanding where the parts, and I'm still learning this, the parts that I don't love and like, infusing love. And then on a collective level, um, grind culture is, is a shadow of capitalism, right? So if we address grind culture, we're addressing capitalism shadow. And, and I like to say, like, I actually, I, I know that we need to reimagine our, our economic systems, but, but I'm not of the binary of like, it's either capitalism or communism or capitalism or socialism. I think that we are going to co-create this new economy. And it's going to be a collection of things that either, um, you know, have been done with indigenous uh, groups, or maybe it's still being co-created and cultivated. And I'm excited to see what that is. But before we can co-create and cultivate that new version or alchemize um, grind culture, we have to like, really look at it like square in the face. It's from an, I can't see it outside of an addiction framework. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's kind of, those are my thoughts on like individual and collective shadow work and how they kind of tie together. It's really helpful. I, I love one of the things that, that I'm totally nerd out about is the individual and the collective and how there's the, the interaction and the interdependency mm-hmm. and that we can't do just individual healing and we can't just focus on the collective that it's both and Mm -hmm. and so understanding how am I affected as an individual by capitalism what are the structures of capitalism and the way that we do capitalism especially in the United States and Mm -hmm. other places as well that's not really true because you know I think about China that Mm -hmm. um, different political system and the the culture on perfectionism Mm -hmm. in Asia is so fierce Mm-hmm. So there's this unwinding that that we have the opportunity to do inside of ourselves to really look at what are the places I don't love, where are the shadows, where are the places I want to push away, and then also to be willing to see where are the shadows in the bigger picture, mm-hmm. and that that's a beautiful spiritual practice. It's not separate. Sometimes people are you know will say to me, well, you know, why are you talking about indigenous women why are you talking about black communities it's all one it's all spiritual i'm like yes and because i've been people have been saying oh well you're creating separation you're creating more separation by talking about this i'm like oh people like (laughs) i love you no we need to look at the shadows we need to look at the history for the deepest healing to happen yes um if we all did a did our shadow work even, you know, talk about collective transformation. Um, but yeah, a lot of times that the whole like racial consciousness and relearning and unpacking what, what we've been taught, it's really scary. It, it, I, it, I get it. You know, it is really scary. And I think the alternative is scarier, <laughs> you know, um, and modern times shows this. So um we as human beings, but that's the thing is like, we all have uh, to atone. Uh, we all have our shadow work to do. That's something that none of us as that's, we can't escape that in a human experience. Although our shadow work will look different depending upon our positionality and uh, what our um, personal experiences were. Okay. We are so continuing this conversation. I want to have part two <laughs> of this of this incredible talk. So last thoughts, Heather, around what would you like to leave our listeners with for their next step or an inspiration? I would say like for your next step, if you're not quite ready for another, like if you're not quite ready for the shadow work piece, even like 
taking, um, so I have a, a, a dear friend of mine, um, Noma Kosi, she talks about mirror work, the idea of looking in the mirror and just gazing at yourself in the mirror and making that a practice like 15 minutes, looking at, you know, yourself in the mirror and sitting with what you see, because you might, there might be thoughts like about the things that are wrong and all these things, but to like really be present with yourself and see yourself. And start there, see what comes up, you know, that in itself will open up a, a Pandora's box. <laughs> it's a great practice. Yeah. Mirror work. Yeah. Really powerful. And learning to really meet ourselves with love, with presence, and to keep getting out of the way to let the, the old learnings arise to be released. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting support. I can't wait for your book to come out. It's going to be an incredible guide during this time of transition. It just feels like it's perfect timing. Yeah. What we all need right now. So thank you. I know you're still in the middle of writing the book. As we do. <laughs> go, go, go. I just so support you and really thank you for all the personal work that you've done for the ways that you've used your life as your medicine and that you're now willing to share that with others. It's such a gift. And thank you, Heather Ash, for uh, creating this space and for saying yes to this work because you've activated me as you've activated many women and femmes around the world. And um, I just want to just thank you for answering the call and for inviting me. I've had so much fun and you're such a treasure just to talk to. So. Mm, Thank you so much. Here's to many more conversations and yumminess as we dance and play and explore forward this beautiful coming together of spirit, work, the divine, Mm -hmm. pleasure, play. All the good stuff of it. That's the thing too. We're worthy of it. Absolutely. So that's a beautiful prayer to end is that that this these words that this feeling sense of coming back home to ourselves and slowing down and showing up in our own lives for our lives that this may go out and benefit many many people and go you have to wait till June 2022 but then go buy Heather's book. So you can get more information around Heather, thrivingwithheather.com. And I'll post that in the show notes as well. And thanks again so much, Heather, for joining me at Warrior Goddess Revolution. And here's to much more. Yes. Thank you, Heather Ash. Thanks, everyone. Bless you. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.